0: I invite you now to take your Bibles and uh, open the scriptures in the book of Genesis. We will read chapter 37, beginning of the story of, um, of Joseph. So Genesis 37 is our scripture reading, and part of that, verse 19 to 28, as in particular the focus of uh, the preaching. We're not going to read that separately again. So chapter 37 and then verse nine to th- the whole chapter, verse 19 to 28, is then the text. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, and then, behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, "Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us?" So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? So your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Then his brothers went to feed the father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, aren't your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to to him, here I am. And then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let's now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and he said, Let's not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. And so it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many a collars that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then he lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm and myrrh, on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed the kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without a doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. And Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son mourning Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and a captain of the guard. Thus far, the word of God. And as I mentioned, the text for the sermon is focused particularly on verses 19 to 28. In response to the preaching of the gospel, we sing hymn 12. And we sing the first and the last stanza, number 1 and 14, of Him 12 in response to the proclamation of the word. The congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is God up to? Is God actually in control of what's all happening? People shake their heads. If there is a God, He doesn't seem to have a good grip of what's going on. You're a Christian. Do you really believe that God arranges everything so that His plans, His intentions are completed? I mean, you look around in our world, you can understand those questions. A lot of things are going on here that make it hard to believe that that a good and loving God rules everything according to His good plan. There are close to 70 million refugees and displaced persons in this world. 70 million. War and civil war come with terrible atrocities. People do awful things to each other. Sometimes genocide. At the same time, there is the shocking reality that worldwide, about 100 million Christians are denied fundamental human rights because of the love for the Savior Jesus Christ. How reliable is God when it comes to the fulfilling of His promises? Is he going to do what he has said? Doesn't look like it, does it? This can also become burning questions when you look at the church. We believe the Son of God defends and preserves His church, but can can you always always see that? The church can be under attack. The church can be in poor shape. Can be polarized. As we sing in hymn 52, by schism rent asunder, by heresies distressed, a church can become unfaithful. Do you ever wonder what is going to become of God's promises? You can also face those questions in your personal life. Do things in your life always turn out as you have hoped for, as you have prayed for? Do you experience God's loving goodness every day? You trust in God. Great. Does that give you a better life? What is God up to? You can imagine that those are the kind of questions that were running through Joseph's mind as he was trudging through the desert, dragged along by the camels of those Ishmaelite traders on their way to Egypt. What's going on in this chapter? An ordinary family feud? Or is it something different? I mean, it, it, it happens more often that siblings don't get along, right? But here we're talking about a unique family. Because this is the family through which God has promised to bless all the families of the earth. That was the promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So what do we see here? We see the hatred of Joseph's brothers. And what does that mean? In the hatred of Joseph's brothers, Satan attacks God's work. So the hatred of Joseph's brothers attacks God's work. And then we see in the story how God's covenant is being despised to begin with, how the servant of God is being rejected, and how, in the end, God's plan is still being executed. The hatred of Joseph's brothers attacks God's work, God's covenant despised, God's servant rejected, God's plan executed. Let's have a look at these three aspects. In Genesis 37, congregation We enter a new period in the unfolding history of God's plan of salvation. The plan that we find in the Old Testament. For a long time, the promise of God to become a great nation had been passed on from the one individual to the other Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Great nation didn't look like it. But now something is changing. In the children and the many grandchildren of Jacob, we see the beginning of the way that leads to the growth of a nation. That's, that's promising, the people of Israel. After many turbulent years of traveling and wandering, Jacob and his family have settled in the promised land again. It says in chapter 37 verse 1 that Jacob dwelt in the land of his father, where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Now, he did not possess the land. He was a a stranger. He was an alien, just as his dad had been and his grandpa. Nevertheless, Jacob was the heir of the promise of the blessing of the covenant given to Abraham and Isaac. A descendant of Abraham. He was the one in whom the only hope is alive for a death-bound world. Keep that in mind when we look at the next generation. At that time, the family was living in Hebron, that was in the south of the country. There, Jacob had settled shortly after Rachel had died. There, he and his brother Esau had buried their father Isaac. We read that in chapter 35. His son Joseph is a teenager, 17 years old. Let's say grade 11, grade 12 student, that's the age. And Joseph's little brother, Benjamin, is a toddler. Now, you may remember how, how, how the family actually functioned. A bit of a dysfunctional family, right? Family life was, was not very harmonious in Jacob's household. Over the years, the competition and the rivalry between his four wives has caused a lot of tension. And this whole atmosphere of conflict and rivalry among the mothers seemed to continue in the relations between the kids and, and, and how, they, how they treat each other. Why is that? Is it just a matter of, well, oh, I don't like you because my mama cannot stand your mom? Is that the picture? No, there's more going on. Time and again, it turns out that the attraction of a worldly life the Apostle Paul would say a life according to the flesh, the sinful nature, a worldly life that clashes with a life of obedience to the will of God. And that's not only a conflict between Israel on the one hand and the Canaanites on the other hand, between the church and the world, so to speak. You would expect that. No, it also shows up in Jacob's family, within the circle of God's people. The struggle between living in obedience to the will of God and the attraction of a life that follows the pattern of the world. That's the root here. In our text, you see the result. Eight of the brothers are ready to kill Joseph. Now, two don't want to go so far. They try to compromise. But why is that? What triggers the hatred that is staring Joseph in the face when he finds his brothers in Dothan. From the very beginning of chapter 37, we feel there is this animosity in the family, right? This, this growing alienation between Joseph in particular and his brothers. There was a big age difference, of course. And since at that time little Benjamin was too young to be involved, Joseph must have grown up pretty lonely. He did work with his brothers, But he was not really one of them. And then the Bible mentions a few things that make it even more difficult. First, it says that Joseph brought a bad report of his brothers to their father. You can imagine that they didn't like that. They hated him for it. Next, we read that Israel loved Joseph more than the other brothers. That was because he was the son of his favorite wife, and he was born when Jacob was old already. And on top of that, Jacob made that a public spectacle, this affection for Joseph, by giving him a special robe, a tunic of many colors, a fancy jacket, like important leaders would wear. That didn't help. And then Joseph himself makes it worse By sharing his dreams with them, two dreams in which he himself plays the main role. He is the one with authority over all of them, the whole family. Now, that did it. I mean, that's pretty pathetic for a teenager, right? Why don't you go play with your toys? They couldn't stand the kid. And even his father was shaking his head with the last dream. Come on, boy, this is enough. Watch your mouth. You know, because of all that, we tend to have mixed feelings about Joseph. Yes, he didn't have it easy when he was growing up. Later on, he becomes the hero of the story, of course. But we often see Joseph as some spoiled daddy's boy, the sneaky telltale. I mean, he wants to have a little brother like that. Sure, that his brothers wanted to kill him was wrong, and, and selling him as a slave was not a good idea, but you can kind of understand that they were fed up with him and with his attitude. But let's be careful with this picture. In the Bible, you will not find any of those judgments about Joseph. In this whole story, all the way to chapter 50, you will not find one negative, critical word about Joseph. It's not because he was perfect. He was not. But God had chosen Joseph for a unique role. He had a unique task. And he himself was not aware of that at that point in time. But the Lord led his way because of the future of his people. No, Joseph was not the one who would personally carry the promise of the Savior of the whole world. That would be his brother Judah. But within Jacob's household, Joseph was assigned to save God's people at that time. But the grace of God, he was destined to be the one who was to save the lives of his brothers, to safeguard the future of God's promised salvation, to safeguard the future of the salvation in Jesus Christ. Think of what's going on in Jacob's family. They live in Canaan. Uh, That was the promised land. But many of them were forgetting that they were strangers. They were supposed to not associate with the Canaanites. But more and more, they get along fine with those people. More and more, they become to appreciate the pagan way of life. The wicked Canaanite culture is corrupting the lives of God's people. And they are, for the most, okay with it. The story of chapter 34, and especially the story in chapter 38, illustrates that. It illustrates how Israel's friendship with the Canaanites is threatening their calling to be God's holy people. The people through whom God is coming to the world with salvation. They are just too comfortable in Canaan. And Joseph does not want that, and he does not like that. Joseph's brothers show us, brothers and sisters, they show us how dangerous it is for your faith and for your Christian life when you get too comfortable in the world. When you no longer recognize the pagan way of life that that dominates our modern culture, and you don't recognize that as something that violates the will of God, you forget the contrast between the church and the world. Yes, you live here. You You live in this world. And, and, and you may even enjoy your life in this world. No problem. By all means, don't hesitate to share the gospel of salvation with people around you. Go for it. But always remember, your horizon and your future is not determined by the things you enjoy here. It is determined by the promise of God for a better life in a better land. Of course, you can live your life here and not choose to profile yourself as a Christian. You can do that. It makes your life in the world a bit easier, a bit more pleasant. But it leaves you without hope for the future. This whole development became such a serious threat for Israel's future that God was going to remove them from Canaan. For God's work to continue, the church cannot just disappear in the world so that no one sees the difference anymore. And that's what he is going to use Joseph for. And so, the fact that Joseph brings his father a bad report about his brothers does not make him a sneaky tattletale. It makes him a spiritual whistleblower. He refuses to cover up the sins of God's people. Now he's just 17. But that means he's only slightly younger than Jeremiah. When, when God called Jeremiah to warn God's people more than thousands years later in similar circumstances, the people hated him for it. And so did Joseph's brothers. How's that with us? How's it in the church today? It can happen among us too, right? We, we live in a materialistic, pleasure-focused society. The idols of material wealth, of unlimited sexual fulfillment, emotionalism, all those idols have a large following. Because they promise happiness. They promise joy. That's attractive. And let us not think that we are immune for that. We can easily adopt a lifestyle. We can easily adopt a pattern of values and ideas in our lives that do not reflect who God is. You can think of a lot of different things. Think of the use of alcohol and drugs. Think of how we deal with sexuality and how we talk about it. Dirty jokes, porn. How do we spend our time and money? How we think it's okay what we do because it just feels okay. You know, we can get so used to these things that we just don't want to hear it when someone stands up and says, this is not what God wants us to do. That's why Joseph's brothers refused to accept that in his dreams, God speaks to them. They refused to accept that the God of the covenant shows them the way out of the dangers of Canaan. And therefore, what we see coming into a head in our text, this hatred, this urge to kill Joseph, is not just frustration with an annoying little brother. No, they resist the holy God. They resent His love, and they don't care about His promises. Obeying God threatens their comfortable pagan way of life. For them, Joseph is the one who embodies all the stuff they fed up with. But in this hatred, it is Satan who attacks the progress of God's work. He wants to frustrate the coming of Jesus Christ. This is how far it can come with God's people. Also today, let's not be naive. Satan keeps trying to make the church so indistinguishable from the world that the message of the church the message of grace for lost sinners, that message becomes powerless. And like Joseph's brothers, we don't always appreciate it when the Word of God criticizes us, when the Word of God criticizes our choices and the preferences in the way in which we live. The, uh, the resentment that has been built up over time explodes when Joseph shows up in Dothan, it's quite a bit north of, um, of Jacob's base camp in Hebron, but that's where his sons, wandering nomads, were pasturing the flocks. So when his father asked him to go there and find out how they all are doing, Joseph does not hesitate. He knew that his brothers hated him, but who would have thought that they would actually be ready to kill him? And yet, that's the first thing that comes up in their minds when they see him coming. This annoying little dreamer. Let's kill him. And we can throw his body in a pit here. We can make up a story that some animal has torn him to pieces. Easy enough. No big deal. Let's make sure that nothing will come of his ridiculous dreams. Sounds like it might work. However, in their hatred, they forget That you can hide things for people. At least for a while you can. But nothing can remain hidden for God. You may think that you will be able to thwart God's plans, but that's a silly mistake. It doesn't make sense. With, With this murder, they rebel against the most holy God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They rebel against the one who has revealed his plans in Joseph's dreams. How can that ever be successful? Here is the God who has revealed Himself from heaven. Here is the God of the covenant. The God who promises grace and forgiveness. The God who gives hope and comfort in the promised Savior of the world. The God who opens the future. And His word they ignore. His word they hate. Think of it. In Jacob's house, within the circle of God's covenant of love, God's grace and mercy, what does it do? It triggers resentment. Growing resentment, hostility, from being anointed by Joseph's faith and piety, via being ticked off by their dad's favoritism, and then appalled by the dreams, they are now ready for the kill. Recognize what's happening here. They reject, they try to kill the very same one without whom they cannot be saved in the future. Do you recognize that? They reject and try to kill the very same one God has given to save His people from destruction. Here is the pattern that points at Jesus Christ. Points at Jesus Christ who would die at the hands of His own people, scorned and killed by the ones He came to save. But God raised Him from the dead as the victorious Savior of all who believe in Him. It's, uh, it's wonderful to live out of God's grace for lost sinners, to bask in the love of God in Jesus, but it's not always so easy, is it? When your words and deeds really show what it means to live out of grace alone, every day of your life, you may run into resistance. Even the resistance from people that claim to be Christians. But remember, they're not resisting you, They are resisting the one who calls them to repent and believe in Him, in Jesus. Without Him, they cannot be saved. Now, two of the brothers don't really like this plan. It's not because they believe that God has has revealed Himself in Joseph's dreams or that, that Joseph is indeed God's whistleblower. Then they would have stuck up for Him openly, but they don't. But regardless of the reason, both Reuben and Judah feel that killing the boy, that goes too far. But they seem to operate each on their own. Reuben, the oldest one, knows that his father will hold him accountable, and he doesn't want that. That's not worth it, he says. Shed no blood. Why bother killing him with your own hands? Here's a better idea. Throw him alive in the pit here in this wilderness, in this desert. Because that's what they do. After stripping Joseph of his fancy jacket, they hated that thing. And they may have thought, in this pit, he will die anyway. Miserable that without food and water. Of course, Reuben was buying time so that he could get Joseph safely home. Then it's time for the bite to eat, and don't overlook that, because it is clear that in brazen indifference for the misery of their brother, they just sit there, and they hear him scream at the bottom of the pit, but they just ignore his cries for help. They recognize that and acknowledge that in chapter 42. They're stuck in their hatred for God's message. But then the situation changes, or better, God changes the situation. Dothan is located on one of the busy trading routes in the ancient Middle East. It's a north-south route from Syria in the north to Egypt in the south. It connects the African countries with the Asian nations. And as they are eating, a caravan of Ishmaelite traders appear, business people. They are traveling with their, their merchandise to Egypt. It says in verse 25 that they were bearing uh, um, balm and myrrh and spices... And those were ingredients that the Egyptians would use for medical and uh, cosmetic purposes. In verse 28, they're also called Midianite traders. Some suggest there were two groups of merchants, but that's probably not true. Both names can be used for the same people, says verse 28. Both tribes came from Abraham. They lived in the same area and were the same kind of uh, of work, and they mixed easily. And then Judah speaks up. Apparently, he's not aware of Reuben's plans. But the thought of Joseph starving to death at the bottom of the pit, what a terrible thing to be responsible for. After all, Judah says we may hate him. If we want to get rid of him, sure. But he is our brother. He is our own flesh and blood. I have a better idea. Let's sell him as a slave. And his brothers agree. And in this way, they don't have blood on their hands, and Joseph will end up in slavery far away, good riddance. Small chance that his fancy dreams will ever come true. Forget it, boy. The reality is, they reject God's servant and God's message. Satan's attack on the progress of God's work of salvation appears to be a resounding success. They throw one of God's children out of the covenant community. They sabotage the fulfillment of the promises of the God of the covenant. Reuben and Judah tried to prevent it, but they do so half-heartedly. You will not be able to stop sin and evil if you try to compromise. It's not going to work. Half-hearted attempts are not going to cut it. They resist the powers that make sin look innocent and attractive. But in the meantime, they hate God and His Word. Expose and resist the power of sin or you will be dragged along down that same path. So, the powers among God's people that are actually hostile toward the Word of God seem to be successful. Right? The hatred of Joseph's brothers has the last word. These are dark and gloomy days for the household of Jacob. The people of God's covenant. God's servant rejected. God's word removed. If this would have been successful, as as successful as it seemed to be, it would have meant the destruction of God's covenant. How tremendously great and powerful God's grace in Jesus must be to conquer this set up from the devil. That we may know one thing. The corruption of the covenant community does not change the faithfulness of the God of this covenant. Never. Everyone who thinks that he can obstruct the plan of God should know better. The Ishmaelite traders recognize a profitable deal when they see it. For just 20 shekels of silver, the equivalent of a few dollars, Joseph is sold and taken to Egypt. He barely escapes his death, a narrow escape, but a narrow escape under God's control. Did Joseph realize that? As a poor and helpless slave, he leaves the promised land, away from his hostile brothers, away from his mourning father. And it will be many years before they will see each other again. That's what we know now. But Joseph didn't know that. The road, of, the road ahead of Joseph is full of dark despair. Is this how the Lord looks after His faithful children? What's His grace? What's His love and care? What is His mercy? What will come of His promise? You want to serve the Lord? Yes, you want to serve the Lord and you want to warn others who don't seem to care, you urge them to repent, and what happens? Hated, hostility all around, try to kill you, try to get rid of you. And no one is going to help you. God is silent. As he was stumbling along the, through the desert tied to his camel, Joseph must have thought about his promising dreams about his love for God? Where is God now? Where is God in the midst of hatred and mockery? Where is God when my life is falling apart? Where is God when all my hope and expectations turn out to be useless? What is God up to? Is Satan free to do as he feels like? Is he free to destroy whatever he wants in the lives of God's people? In Jacob's family, you could finally see the beginning of the fulfillment of the old promise. Become a great nation, doesn't go anywhere. The power of sin destroys everything. That's what it often looks like, right? But don't be mistaken. God rules when Joseph's life turns upside down. Many years later, it will become clear how it served God's plan that Joseph ended up in Egypt. God gave Joseph his dream so that one day, not only he himself, but also his father and his brothers, and even we today, that we are being reminded of the fact that nothing happens by chance. Today, God is the same. My brother and sister, he rules in all the confusing turmoil that can turn your and my life upside down. But in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, God shows that his plans will turn out to be okay all the time. Now, when Joseph's brothers watched him disappear in the desert, they did not have the slightest idea that their hatred was serving God's plan. Who would? And how in the world would that be possible? But through this deal of 20 shekels, a handful of dollars, God Almighty prepares Israel's move to Egypt, not only to save them from starvation, but more importantly, to save them from spiritual destruction in Canaan. In a Joseph, on his way to Egypt, poor, helpless, in chains, God is on his way towards the fulfillment of all his words. Jesus Christ is coming, and no one can stop him. God's grace continues. And when we think sometimes that He is stuck, He keeps His promises. He works out His plans for all His children as part of His great plan. For the God of Joseph did not change. He is the same today. Joseph did not know what was hanging above his head. And his brothers did not know that, and his father did not know that, but God knows, and God controls. My brother, my sister, our God will always find a way in your life to do what He has promised. Amen.